I used to go to church where they did this all the time. And do it. All right, hold them up. I want to see them. Okay. Oh, look at that. How many years is so big you can't hold it up? You got one of those big old. Uh, so we're, I'm going to uh, digress a little bit. We're going to come back and and uh, jump in where we need to take up. So we're not going to uh, do this frequently, but on occasion I feel the need to touch on some things, and today is one of those days. I want to talk to you today about the great indifference. I think that what I'm talking about will um, become evident as I as move through, unless I do a terrible job. If I do a terrible job, then you'll have no idea what I was talking about when you leave. And, uh, and maybe that happens every week, I don't know. I, I, I was pondering some things this past week, and, and as I was reading, some things came to mind. I'm so grateful to the Lord. And uh, I, I wrote a question at the top of my paper, is the church well? And my answer was no. I'm not necessarily talking about us. I'm not necessarily talking about here, although we're going to talk about some things we can do in just a few moments. But one of the things I did was look around at our church meetings today. And again, this is, this is a generalization, and I'm sure there are exceptions to this. <clears throat> um, <but clears throat> <clears throat> much of our meetings are focused on and driven by an appeal to the senses. We have lights and screens and visual and, and most of all music. Senses that arouse and appeal to emotion. And this is all done to promote excitement and provide, dare I say it, entertainment. Many believe, because they've come up with it, come up in it, Many believe this is the norm, that this is normative or that this is the scriptural modality, the model of scripture. It is not. I I asked myself as I looked around at so many things that are going on, where are the hymns of steady music and verses of theological truth? And of course we, again, I'm talking in general out here. And in many instances, they've been replaced by catchy ditties that are at best an expression of godly emotion. At best. And are poor because they focus on the receiver, not the giver. The glory of God has been replaced by what we feel about Him as if his existence was validated by our recognition of him. That's heresy. And though it's never said, it is practiced. It's never said that God is God because we sense him. Folks, God is God whether we sense him or not. And though that's never said, 
much of the communication that goes on in contemporary Christianity, at least in the West, all of the processes that are there communicate that. No wonder our culture in general has degenerated to the point that feelings are seen as truth. And then I've, I thought about preaching. Now, I don't want it to seem egotistical. I don't know how to say it. I feel uncomfortable saying, but I've got to say it because it's the truth. The most important thing that we will do here today is look at this book together. We will pray together, and that's important. We will share together, and that's important. And those things are, are, as actually I read from Hebrews 10, we're to gather together so we can support and encourage one of those things. That's a scriptural command. But the most important thing we will do is not sing. The most important thing we will do is look into this book together and grow together. Some of you may not realize it, but for the past, I don't know, Jacob, what's it been, six years? We've been going through a little doctrinal book. I'm teasing because uh, I'm teasing because it's uh, uh, kind of become a joke of how long it's taken us to get to it. Ninety-two little chapters in this book of basic Christian doctrine. We've been talking about in the adult class. Today we talked about uh, the church in the world and and civil government, and and so we looked at that particular doctrine. The civil, civil government. So I, I, I thought about, where's the preaching today? Where's the authoritative man of God who, who proclaims the truth of God's word, the greatness of God, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the gospel of grace found in Christ alone? Today's preachers too often speak in soothing tones a message of comfort to the hearers to please their ears, to satisfy, to placate their materialism and their narcissism. Let me say that again. Today's preachers too often speak in soothing tones a message of comfort to the hearers to please their ears, to placate their materialism and narcissism. Soothing tones of untruth. No fire. No fear of God. No repentance. No conviction. Our pulpits, pulpits are often filled by, un, by the unmanly. Swayed by worldly philosophy and focused on pleasing men rather than God. And you don't have to look very far to find any of that. And you say, well, I'm not hearing any of that. No, that's because you're not looking in the right places. It is all over the place. And if pleasing men isn't picking up, uh, isn't based on some worldly philosophy that's come into the church, then it's, it's based on some theological niche that once again feeds the materialism, 
and narcissism of the hearers. Repeatedly in the book of Ezekiel, we get this phrase, thus says the Lord. Or if you have, you know, the old version, it says, thus saith the Lord, okay? I don't know too many people who said, I was just talking to Frank the other day, and Frank saith, you know, that doesn't usually happen. But I think you get the idea. It's over and over. And as a matter of fact, Ezekiel, all of them do it, but it seems to me as I read this, Ezekiel does it more and more. Ezekiel would begin the vision that he got or the revelation he got from God by saying, and the Lord said. And then you would hear what the Lord said. So you you read these two or three sentences. Here's what the Lord said. And then Ezekiel would go out and he would repeat it. And this time he would say, thus says the Lord, or thus saith the Lord. And he would repeat back and forth what it said. The most important thing. So if, if, if you want to do an interesting study, just get a little marker and go through and mark your Bible every time you see that. Now, let me... Let me, let's take a little journey here in Scripture as we talk about the great indifference. Genesis chapter 1, it's a good place to start. I need a rim shot. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke things into existence. Not a time to elaborate on all of this, but I think if, if you want to do a study and if you've got a decent Bible with some footnotes in it, you can, you can see where God's word caused things to happen. We're going to look at more of it again. Say, preacher, do you believe in, in a, a literal creation kind of in seven days? Absolutely I do. And one of the reasons I do, and I don't believe it formed over millions and millions of years, was because God said it and it happened. That's the testimony of the book. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, saw that the light was good, and then he went on and separated the light from day and night, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to go into all of that. But that whole sequence of reality as we read it, as you read it normally, if, if, if I wrote a sentence about what you did and used much the same language in the same form, you would not think that it happened over a period of years or decades or eons of unmeasurable time. It's a violation of common sense. But the most, but the important thing is God said. Now, go to the New Testament. John 1, Gospel of John, chapter 1. And you're, again, you're familiar probably with all of these verses. I know you're, you're familiar with this. Verse 1, we'll break this one, one thing here sometime. I don't know when. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, without elaborating a whole lot, that we know that word is logos, and it means the expression of God. 
so that was that was that word was used to paint a picture in people's minds that John elabor- elaborates on. We don't have time to read all of it, but John, the writer of this gospel, elaborates on later about how Jesus was God. He, he touches on it somewhat here. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I could read on, but I'm not going to. I just got the, my point is that here's this word once again. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And by the way, that's repeated over and over and over again in the book of Genesis if we read the creation story. Here we get into the New Testament, and, and when John begins to begins his story of the ministry of Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Savior of mankind, when he begins his story by talking about how he is the Word, the expression of God, and how he was involved in creation. Hebrews. Guess which chapter? One. I actually didn't know all this until I... Started looking up these verses. <laughs> God's so funny. I should have known it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The key to understand the book of Hebrews is the word better because over and over again the writer of Hebrews talks about how what we've got in Jesus Christ is better than what they had. And we'll go through all that, but if you read the book of Hebrews with that in mind, you'll see it referenced over and over and over again. Here he says we've got a better word. He goes on to talk about better prophecies, better priesthood, a better priest, a better, uh, just everything better. But here, once again, he talks about this son who God used to speak to us and through whom he created all things. What would we do without God's word? Um, I'm going to kind of abbreviate this a little bit. Let, let me let me read just a couple of verses and uh, see if we can get down through this. Second Chronicles chapter 17. What I'm talking to you about today is God's word. So let's look. We're going to take a, a brief journey through this book of, of these 66 books. And we're going to look at several things. We're going to end up in the New Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 17. 
verse 7, in the third year of his reign, this is Jehoshaphat, the reign of Jehoshaphat. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them the Levites. And he names all these Levites. There's a whole bunch of names. And some of them are big, so I will skip them. <laughs> and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. One of the keys of the revival that came under Jehoshaphat was the fact that they had traveling Bible education. People couldn't go, they couldn't travel like we do. So these guys uh, gathered their stuff and they took the book of the law and they went through all of the cities. Because the Bible teaches us how we relate to God, it teaches us how we relate to one another, how, how we relate to our people, believers, it teaches us how we, we relate to others. The Bible, properly understood and practiced, is the common basis for culture and society and government. Now, there's all kinds of basis for culture and society and government, but the Bible is the best basis. It's good basis. It's God's basis. So, we've heard lots of talk of recent days about revival. When they, when they, they thought one of the keys to revival is making sure that the People, this came up in our dog class, making sure that the people would trust God and honor God. was that they had to understand what the book of the law said, and so they went about teaching everybody. Again, there's a, a lot that could be said about this. If you, if you want to, you know, just interestingly, if you want to look something up as you turn to Second Chronicles 34... Um, One of the first things that Martin Luther did when he had the opportunity was to create schools to teach kids to read. Because he had translated the Bible, the New Testament at least, into German while he was hiding in a disguise. I think he had those big plastic glasses and a nose. You know, I don't know what he had, but... So he translated God's word into German and then they went about teaching kids to read. Why? Because he knew if they could read this book, they needed God's book. So we teach them to read, not so they can read what philosophers are doing, but so they can read what God said. Second Chronicles 34 Verse 31, And the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he made all the people who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin join it. And all the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel, made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And all his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Josiah made a covenant with God that he was going to, he was going to obey God's word and obey the, here it's called the covenant. All right. To obey it, you must know it. To know it, you're probably going to have to read it.
And then when you read it and study it and know it, you can do it. And we can look around about us at the world and see all the people who are not doing what God's Word said. And we can even see some in the church who are not doing what God's Word said. And there's all kinds of reasons for doing that. We must make sure that if it's going to happen, it happens out of rebellion against God, not out of ignorance. The Word of God changes us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says it's alive, doesn't it? That's what the word the old King James says, quick. It's, it, it's alive. And it's sharper than a, you know, you, sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and it, it, it's very specific. It says it divides asunder even between the soul and, and the, the spirit and the soul. So we, we say, well, I don't understand what their motives is. Well, God does. So I don't understand what my motive is. <laughs> and sometimes I don't. Why did I do that? Oh God, I was so wrong and I did. Well, when that happens, it's because the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, has cut that divider and said, look, this is, this is where your heart was. You did the right thing and your heart was wrong. James chapter 1, and you can, I'm not going to take time to read it, you can read it, verses 22 through 25, where he talks about the Word of God, which is able to make you wise, give you wisdom so you can be saved. And he said, but there are some people who look at the perfect law of liberty and walk away, just like that fellow who looked in the mirror, saw that his face was all messed up, and didn't do anything about it, they just went on their way. Second Peter chapter 1. Everybody still with me? All right. Anybody, did we lose anybody? Is anybody falling out in between the rows here? I guess so. That was. Pr- <laughs> you, you can't plan that stuff. I don't know how. Where are we going? Second Peter. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I. It's like the person that says they were at the bottom of the stairs and they didn't know if they were coming down or going up. They just found themselves there. So, Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now let me... Put that in context. Do you remember what happened there? Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he went up to the mountain. And there, while they were on the mountain, they saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter got all, you know, he said, I'm going to build a church here. He didn't say church, but that's what it was. We're going to build a tent. We're going to build a shrine here for you. And out of this glorious cloud came a voice, said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So Peter's re- Peter is retelling this story as he writes this. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
to which you will do well to pay attention. He said, we heard about this prophecy of this Messiah. Well, it was confirmed. We saw it. And you guys should pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Born along. This is one of the proof texts of the inspiration of Scripture. And inspiration doesn't mean the feeling you get when you hear the national anthem. Or for some of you, the Boilermaker fight song. It's it's not that at all. No Purdue fans. Okay. Suits me. At any rate, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. And we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get there in just a second. But back up here, I want you to note the context of this. Verses 3 and 4 talk about God's promises. I'm going to skip through this real quick. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. I'm going to skip through, but he talks about God's promises. Verses 5 through 11 talk about this quality. He's qualities that we're to have because of these promises. For this very reason, make every effort to support supplement your faith with virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control self-control is steadfastness steadfastness is godliness godliness brother and so I'm, I'm going to not continue reading but all of these things verse 5 through 11 talk all of these qualities that we're to practice look at verse 12 therefore I intend to always remind you of these qualities though you know them and, and are established in the truth that you have I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. I will make every effort that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What's he doing? He's saying, look, these are wonderful promises that God has given us, and those promises are to produce these in our lives. These are things you're you're supposed to pursue and seek. And I want to remind you while I can, because one of these days I won't be here, and I want you to be reminded. And then he goes into verse 16 and the verses that we read as as we move to the end of the chapter, where he talks about the, he how he was an eyewitness of his testimony, and he saw God's power, and he said that all of these things are true. And he says these things were confirmed. What the what what the real prophet said were confirmed, and what we're and that and that these those those Old Testament prophets were born along. You got a guy here who knows he's going to leave, and he's writing to these people and saying, "Listen, we haven't followed some cunningly devised fable. Those Old Testament prophets heard from God, and we saw it fulfilled." And he said all that. Because he begins after the greetings to talk to these people in verse 3 about all of these promises. He wanted them to be sure that he knew what he was talking about. That to be sure that just as those old prophecies were fulfilled and that he was an eyewitness of it, they knew that these things that he was telling them would also be fulfilled. Go with me to 2 Timothy. 
chapter 3. Would you read just a couple of verses? It says, All Scripture, verse 16. All Scripture. Now, um, I don't have time to do all of this, but Paul said that what Peter wrote was Scripture, and Peter said that what Paul wrote was Scripture. So we got this thing going back and forth. Um, and if you want to do a study, you can go in and see what was written so that when Paul was writing what New Testament things, Paul wrote this, what New Testament things were there, and most certainly the Old Testament things were obviously there. So when he says all Scripture, what's he referring to? So all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, firstly, this is where we get our word inspiration. That word breathed out by God is the word theonustos. And it, it, uh, pneuma is the word for breath. It's also the word for spirit. And that's, that was the Greek word that they used. So when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, and it said that God breathed on man and he became a living soul. Those are the words that they used. So what, what the apostle is saying here is that God breathed into these guys and, and, and gave them life to write this thing. And I don't have time to read all about the doctrine of Scripture, but it was, it was, their, it was them in their time with their understanding using words that God wanted used, although they wrote it and, and God inspired it. So that's, this, this inspiration is different. By the way, this was the first time. No one has found the use of this word before this, either in Scripture or in Greek culture. Paul made up a word that has become our word, inspired. So all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, look what he says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Um, In verse 15, I want to back up. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, "And, And how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, that's another interesting study. If you're interested, you can go back and look at Timothy and look at his heritage and his mother and his father and his grandmother and find out where Paul, why Paul would say such a thing. But he says, you learned the scriptures and those scriptures were able to make you wise into salvation. And then once saved, he said, these scriptures are there for our teaching, for our reproof, for our correction, and for our training in righteousness. Why? What's it say? So that we would be complete. Equipped for every good work. What, what else is needed? What else do you need? Now, some of us in here have particular 
jobs and there are things that we have to know in order to do our jobs and so we'll we'll go study with somebody or we'll watch them do it or we'll read a book or we'll figure out some of those things all of that will disappear that's not unimportant but it's not like this this is what causes us to to enter into the stature or the measure or the fullness of the maturity of Christ and when we read God's word it, it teaches us, it reproves us, it, it, it shows us, it corrects us, it, it, it trains us in righteousness. So over and over again, our mind, you know, working on these things and, and ruminating on them and chewing on them. But we can't do that if we don't read it. Too long the church of Jesus Christ has looked elsewhere for what we need for life. And that's an error. We need to study the Bible more than other topics, more than other books. We need to get into the Bible more than songs and videos. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, If you know to do what's right and don't do it, that is what? Sin. Uh, we, 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 I had it in my notes here. I forgot that this was here in my notes, but I, I didn't bring it with me because of, just for sake of time. But I have a little book. I've showed it here before called The New England Primer. It's just a little book. It's this big. It's this thick. And for almost 200 years, the grade school, we'll call them grade school, grade school kids in our country learned to read from this book. And it was all based on Scripture. They would memorize Scripture verses. And it was, it was uh, famed for its rhyming alphabet. I can't remember them all, but I, I do remember the first one. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. So A was for Adam. So you'd have an A. A is for Adam. How do you learn the alphabet? A is for Adam. Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. What are we doing? We're teaching kids doctrine. We're teaching kids about the depravity of man and, and, and uh, the initial sin that that brought destruction. And it goes all the way down through the alphabet. Now, I didn't bring it. I don't know what they did for X. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, as a matter of fact, maybe i got to go find that book when I get home and look it up. So, watch social media. Maybe I'll post it. We used to, we used to inculcate our kids with this stuff. If you're an adult... Only if you're an adult, you should look at the news conference that the state of Florida had this past week about their books. The networks wouldn't carry it because the stuff that the schools had in their library was pornographic. So grade school kids have access to stuff that the television wouldn't put on TV. I remember once when I was working for the group of churches that I worked with and I was supposed to be traveling and encouraging youth groups to come to our Bible colleges. And I remember going to one youth minister and asking me, well, what do you guys do here? And we, yeah, we do this and that. And I said, you guys ever study the Bible? He says, no. He says, when I get out my Bible, I lose them all. They go to sleep.
one of our most respected evangelical universities just said we're no longer going to have classes on campus anymore. We're going to go virtual for the whole thing. I broke my heart when I heard that. As I thought, I don't know how they're going to do all that, but I thought, man, there, there have to be lifelong friendships and relationships and that, that are built when those people have to live in one of those poor dorms and eat lunch together. And they get to talk about what Professor so-and-so said. There has to be things that go on there that can never be replicated Well, why does it happen? It's because it costs a lot of money to do all that stuff. They have to pay a lot of money to go do it. And people aren't willing to pay it. So, God bless you for your attention. God bless you for coming. God bless you. I, I thank God almost every week I think of it. And so I don't say it all the time, but I thank God that you come and you listen to me stand up here and talk. It's a marvel and a, a, a wonder to me that you do well I got to tell you something if this is all you do you are sorely lacking the next step is your own study not reading if you're not reading that's the first step the thing you need to do is study And I encourage you to get a Bible with paper. I don't, you may not have to bring it here, but this is heavy. And you're already bringing your phone, aren't you? Um, I will tell you what I did, though. When I first found the Lord, I took a notebook and I wrote down everything the preacher said. It would take me a week to go through his notes. Every morning at breakfast, I would go through his notes. Took me a week. How did it take me a week? Because I'd read the verse. I'd write down a point. He he put he had a verse next to the point, so I, I would read that verse. And I had a study Bible, a reference Bible, and over it next to it, where he would say something, there would be another reference. So I'd go look up that reference. And guess what? I get that reference. There was another reference from that verse, and there was another one. And sometimes you'd look at four or five verses, and then they finally I'd say, "Wait a minute, where in the world am I? Oh, I got to go back over here to my notes and get back to my notes again." It would take a week to go through a sermon. I wore Bibles out. I see Christians with their Bible up on the car dash, and the thing is all curled from laying in the sun. And they put it there so they'll have it there on Sunday. How pathetic is that? This is all we need for life and godliness. The world's all going upside down and the church is trying to fix it. And the thing that we need to, the thing that the resource and the tool that we have to have in order to fix it is in this book. And this is sometimes the last place we look. I gotta skip this, but if you want, you can read Second Timothy chapter two, verses fourteen through nineteen, where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, "Listen, you avoid all this vain babbling and profitless words." Actually, he says it's profane babbling. 
And when you read about it, he uses that word two or three times. Paul does. When you read about what is profane about it, it isn't the profanity that we speak of. It's because it was doctrinally useless and empty. It only caused other troubles. I don't have time to get into it. He calls it a cancerous disease, and it grows and it spreads, and it leads to other terrible things. I mentioned earlier that often in our pulpits, when when there is excitement, it's uh, and, and fire, it's it's not about the glory of God. It's about some niche doctrine that is designed to make the hearers happy. Let me close. I fear for us if we do not love this book. Let me back up here. Well, i use this. Get a paper Bible. Get a reputable study Bible. You say, that Bible, I can wear it out if it's on my phone. Your phone can disappear. Someone can flick a switch and everything you've got on it is gone and you don't have access to it. Now, we put a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago where Katie wrote an interesting article because our libraries are purging themselves of the classics that I read as a kid. They're getting rid of them. She went in and bought a whole big stack of books. I don't know, where are you, Katie? There you are. She went in, she can tell you, she bought a whole big stack of these kids' kids' books that the library said, we no longer need these. Oh, it was that big a stack, huh? (laughs) I'm not allowed to do that, okay? So is that... Say, well, that's, just, that's not just one library. That's happening all across the country. And I encourage you, if you see them and you've got kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews, buy them and keep them for them. Because when they're gone from there, they're gone unless they're, in, they're on your shelves. Say, I don't want to move all those things every time I move. Throw away the TV and keep the books. Leave the TV when you go. Get a reputable study Bible, mark in it, and run the cross-references. A paper Bible. Now, I... I, I, I don't know how you learn. So, you know, people learn differently. There's different ways to do things. Um, I, I, I'm not being critical if you don't function that way. Find the way that you function best and do it. But do it. Study it. Don't just read it. Oh, I'm going to read about David and Goliath today. Read systematically, not topically. Now, I almost didn't put this in because I'm doing a topical sermon. <laughs> so, so, but I, 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 I screwed up my courage and I stuck it in here anyway, okay? Which is why we go through, you know, we go through this. Read systematically. You say, well, yeah, but if I study one topic, listen, 
if you read systematically, you're going to see the topics. And after you get through this four or five times, the topics are going to connect, whether they're in the front of the book or the back of the book. You're going to say, you know, I read something about that back here. And by the way, if you've got a reference Bible with some references in it, it'll, it'll tell you that. You'll find them. So read systematically so you can put the story together from, from beginning to end. This book is what's called, in theologically, special revelation. In other words, we wouldn't know these things about God if God had not specially revealed them to us. It tells us about the great love of God for the world. It tells us about His profound wisdom in in procuring our salvation. It tells us of His greatness and His glory. And and we're we're to study and and, and just... um, engross ourselves in that. Be engulfed in it. Be swallowed up like we went down in water. We're to be uh, just overcome with all of that until we all bow the knee and say, He is Lord. And the more you read this, the more likely you are to do that. Folks, the great, if, the great indifference today is our indifference to this book. None of the errors that are going on in our churches would be going on if people stayed true to this book. Say, well, what about the world? Well, this book doesn't rule the world. The devil does. But the church would know how to deal with it better if we stayed in this book. Say, preacher, what are you going to do to us if we don't study? There isn't anything I can do. But I told you. That's my job. I say, I don't have time. That's a lie. Every one of us in here has time for what we want to do. Say, those Bibles are expensive. Yeah, they are. You may spend, I mean, if you get a real good one with leather on it, it may cost you 150 bucks with, with good leather. Not this kind, Tyler. I, I haven't got to contact that guy. Okay. You get one, it may cost you 150 bucks. Let's say it lasts you 20, 20 years. How much is that a year? I don't know. I just made up the numbers. I didn't do... It's not in my notes. So don't, don't expect me to answer that. I just throw it out there as a rhetorical question. You wouldn't spend that in a year? You spend more than that at McDonald's. Every other day. Say, so, well, I can't afford it right now. Well... Put your pennies aside until you can. Heavenly Father, I bow my heart before you today as earnestly as I know how to pray. And I ask you to make us a people who study your word, who read it, yes, 
but who study it, comparing precept with precept. So we can grow line upon line. So that we can be fully equipped, complete, mature, perfected in all good works. We'll do the, we would do a similar thing if our job required it. If we had to learn a new operating system, if we had to learn to read, to do a new machine. We study those things. Some of us guys who buy tools every once in a while even read the manual. Give us a burden and a desire and a hunger for your word. Deliver us from the great indifference so our hearts throb along with yours at your words. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.